Hello and welcome to the Art of Selling Online Courses. We're here to share winning strategies and secret hacks from top performers in the online course industry. My name is John Ainsworth and today's guest is Devlin Peck. Now, Devlin built a seven-figure course selling business by helping people become instructional designers, and we'll dig into what that means. And he's now sharing everything he's learned to help people create more effective, profitable online courses. So we're going to talk about how he managed to grow this seven-figure course business in a tiny niche in just a few years. Now, before we dig into that, I just want to say, if you enjoy this podcast, if you have enjoyed listening to this over time, we don't do any ads on here. The only thing I ask is that you help share the word. So if you would go and give us a review, wherever you're listening to this, hopefully you enjoy it and you give us a five-star review. That'd be really helpful trying to spread the word and get it out to more people. So that would be awesome. And I'd really appreciate it. And more importantly, it could help somebody else to be able to make more money from their course business. So Devlin, welcome to the show, man. Hello, John. Glad to be here. Thanks for having me. Nice. So could you give us a little bit of background? Like, how did you get started? How did you get into what you've been doing? Sure. So maybe it started when I was graduating from college. I thought I was going to be a teacher. I realized I love teaching, but I didn't really like the set of opportunities that came along with that. Like the long hours, the burnout. I, I knew a lot of teachers in my family. So I was like, I don't think that's right for me. And then I found this field of instructional design, which basically designing learning experiences for like corporations and corporate employees. They can work in different settings, but that's like what I set on. There's good earning potential. And I realized a lot of the work could be done from a laptop. So I was like, okay, maybe I could try to build a freelance business doing that. I realized my school had a really good master's program for it. So I was like, yeah, I'll give it a go. It's still like learning focused, but maybe I could, yeah, work from my computer while, you know, traveling Europe or traveling the world or something. So I was pretty excited about that. So I started the master's degree and started landing freelance clients like that same semester by putting together some projects and learning as much as I could on the side. And I started freelancing. So after a year of that master's program, I, I had a lot of clients it was going quite well, like financially, but it wasn't super fulfilling. Like a lot of the projects I was working on, it didn't feel like they were really making a difference. And along the way, I started creating some content, like for other instructional designers or other aspiring instructional designers, because some of my friends were like, yeah, what exactly is it that you're doing? What's instructional design? And I'm like, it's a great field. Like, you know, here's all the opportunities, like check it out. And so I started to help work with some of my friends to help them get into the field and get jobs. So I was like, instead of repeating myself, I'm just going to create like a tutorials or guides on how to do this online. They started ranking quite well. I started building a mailing list and the rest was kind of history after that, especially with the pandemic. So many teachers were looking for other options and a lot of them found instructional design. And then when they looked up how to become an instructional designer, they kind of found their way to my website and my mailing list. And at the end of 2020, I pre-sold my first digital product. All right. There's a bunch to unpick there. I want to go back through that step by step. So instructional designers is somebody who creates like a learning program for, for corporate organizations. Was that right? Did I understand that right? Yes. Yeah. It doesn't have to be corporate, but that's like where most people are going. The, the My clients are trying to get the corporate roles for sure. Like if you've ever gotten a job and they've been like, okay, now do these like e-learning courses. We're going to assign you some training, you know, do it on your computer. It's probably an instructional designer who's creating that. Okay, cool. And does that instructional designer need to be an expert in the topic that the course is in? 
Definitely not. So okay. instructional designers are experts in learning and learning science and, and yeah, how people can learn effectively. And then they work with subject matter experts who know about all those really niche specific topics. So you learn about a lot of different stuff. I've worked on healthcare projects, like mining company projects, <laughs> tech projects. It's all over the place. I've learned about some very <laughs> niche things. So how does that work? Are you working with the subject matter expert and then uh, helping to kind of pull out from them, like what structure is this going to be? What's the curriculum? What's the learning outcomes? That kind of stuff. You are kind of, you're, you're pulling out like some raw information from the subject matter experts essentially. So, and so you kind of talk to them about what they do. You might observe them doing their job. Yeah. You might ask them about common mistakes they might make when they were new. You might talk to new people too. Like you, yeah, you talk to a lot of different stakeholders, but you're usually the one deciding, you know, now I'm going to turn all of this raw information into these learning objectives based on like the business goals we're trying to achieve. Yeah. <laughs> okay. Okay. So you interview the person, you might watch them do their job, you pull all the information out and then you take that and you figure out here's the learning objectives. You put together the course. Is that all the way, like, is the instructional designer then teaching it or like who's actually doing the, or is it, is it tend to be video courses? I'm guessing. Not quite. It's kind of like slide based. It's like okay. an interactive slide based experience. So it might be like click to reveal or, or there will be videos like, you know, watch this video or like narrated slides with stuff like moving in and out. It really ranges from like really low production value to like super high end with like really, you know, like working with video agencies to do a really clean, nice job. <laughs> but the the allure, I guess, is you have the interactive slide based component, like there's interactive quiz based questions and like scenario based questions. So, yeah, got it. And how much if someone's doing that for a corporate organization, how much are they charging for like a freelance? I know obviously it'll vary depending on who you're doing it for and the size of the project, but can give us some kind of an idea. I think when I was starting, like the average hourly rate was like 50 bucks an hour. I was okay. working on projects for that, like 25K fixed price projects that would maybe take 50 hours or so to complete when in my final like year of freelancing so it was quite profitable a uh, full-time employees make you know if you have a decent portfolio and stuff like around 85 grand a year in the united states some make close to double that but that's not the norm but yeah six-figure jobs aren't uncommon too maybe a quarter of all corporate ids or more are probably making six figures got it okay so you were doing that then you had a lot of friends who were teachers start to ask you about it. You were answering their questions and then you decided to start making content answering it so you didn't have to keep repeating yourself. That built up an audience. Where were you building that up? Was that on YouTube to begin with? I was terrified by YouTube at the time. <laughs> so <laughs> I was a writer. So I studied English literature as an undergrad. So yeah, I was writing like articles and blog posts basically and tutorials and whatnot. So it was okay. all on my website. Got it. And so you were like ranking on Google for some of these kind of terms? Yeah, yeah. I was learning a lot about SEO. I was like, you know, because I had gone through the transition process, I was Googling like a madman. I was constantly Googling stuff. So I was like, yeah, I know people look to Google when they're trying to learn about this stuff. So that's where I want to be found, where people are searching. Nice. Okay, cool. You said, I think in 2020, you pre-sold your first course. Yeah. So give us the time frame of when did you start working on um, doing this yourself? And then when did you start building the content? Yeah, good question. So I started my master's program and getting my very first client in 2017. 
I started creating some little tutorials, maybe even in 2018, but they were like super specific technical tutorials for stuff I was Googling and couldn't find an answer to. And then at the end of 2019 is when I wrote that guide on how to become an instructional designer. So it wasn't, yeah, it didn't like blow up overnight or anything, but in November, 2020, when I pre-sold my bootcamp, I had around 1300 people on my mailing list. Mm -hmm. And I was intimidated. I was like, maybe I'll be able to sell a product for like $500, like if I'm lucky. And now the bootcamp is like six to $7,000, which wow. was, was crazy <laughs> to me thinking back from that, you know, from where I was like the goals I had set seemed so unattainable and we've like 10 X some of them. <laughs> so it's wow. been quite the fast journey, I would say. And I guess I say that because when I was freelancing, like this seemed appealing to me from the beginning, I loved making the content and writing the tutorials and eventually in the middle of 2020, I started doing YouTube videos. So I was like, I have to get comfortable on camera. It's going to be painful. And it was very painful and awkward. Um, but that has had a huge impact on uh, the business as well, uh, YouTube. I w always wanted that freedom of like being a content creator and kind of serving my audience directly, like working directly with the people who I'm helping learn instead of working through a client who can maybe have unreasonable requests. And <laughs> it was frustrating. I don't know where I was going with this, but I was quite happy when I was able to finally start making that transition to core selling from freelancing. And then I stopped taking clients completely in the beginning of 2021. Got it. Okay. So you've got your 1300 person email list. Yes. You're, you're scared about selling the course for $500 or nervous about it. How many sales did you make about and how much money did you make in that initial launch? I wasn't just going to be like, here's, I'm pre-selling this come and buy it. <laughs> I don't know if we want to dive into what that process looked like, but I wound up doing like 20 or so like one-on-ones with people and multiple focus groups before that to figure out what my product even was, which was super, super helpful because I was thinking way too broad initially. Um, I don't know that how that would have went, <laughs> but I, so I wound up selling maybe 30 to 33 seats. I was charging between 400 and $500 a seat based on with, if they met with me via a one-on-one -on -one or not. If they did, I gave them like a hundred dollar discount. So I think I made between like 30 and, or wait, no, I made like 15 to 16 grand on that pre-sale. Perfect. Okay, cool. Well, let's back up into that then. Cause that sounds super interesting. So you were trying to figure out what was going to be in the course, what you're going to be covering in your own, your own learning outcomes, your own topic, right? Yeah. How did you go about that? You mentioned one-to-one -one and then focus groups. So kind of take us back to the beginning of when you were trying to figure out what were the steps that you went through? Right. Okay. So I think it started, you know, I had this desire to do a course song thing and it always just seemed like maybe something in the future, like years from now when I'm like, you know, and I've gotten bigger clients and, you know, done all this other stuff. But one night I was like laying in bed, it was like 2am or something. I like wasn't falling asleep and it just like struck me. I'm like, what I'm actually doing is yeah, helping instructional designers, like make more money basically like get more get better opportunities i'm like that's like my mission that's what i realized is like the most exciting thing for me i can have some paid programs where i work with people more closely to like help them do that so i after that i was i did some brainstorming and i was like here's all the different like courses or like modules i could have i could help people with their portfolios with price with freelancing stuff like pricing and finding clients with the theory with the tech i had like so many things and i'm like yeah i'm gonna build this big like academy or something where i cover every last aspect of that. And I'm going to charge people just like $100 the first year to join. It was like something ridiculous, like the idea <laughs> I had on my own. <laughs> I was like, because I'm going to have to build it, I'll give people like the most massive discount ever. 
Um, but then I was like, before going ahead, I obviously need to like talk to my people. I need to get some input on this. So I sent out an email and I said, hey, I'm doing like three focus groups next week. You can sign up with this Calendly link. Come if you're interested at all in paid offerings for me, like a paid course. I started talking it through it with them. I started talking through all the different options and the portfolio course. People were like, that would be super interesting to me. I want to help with my portfolio especially because that is something that is really powerful, like helping get better work in this field. And then I asked them why they would be interested in that. And the resounding, the unanimous answer was feedback from me, basically. So like getting feedback from you on my portfolio, that would be super, super valuable to me. So the loud and clear message from that was, this is what people want to pay for. And then I sent out a survey just to like clarify it even further. I was like, okay, I talked to, you know, 30 people or so on these focus groups. But let me ask the mailing list at large just to clear up some finer details and judge their sentiment on this. So I sent that out. And at the end of that survey, it was like, would you be interested in discussing this further in a one-on-one -on -one with me? Mm -hmm. And then if so, I got their email. And then I scheduled those one-on-ones. I had like a running PowerPoint basically with like the concept for the course and the, the learning objectives and everything essentially. And then as I went through each one-on-one, -on -one, I would ask for their feedback on the course and I would kind of improve the PowerPoint based on those conversations to, yeah, based on that feedback to refine it further. And at the end of every single one of those calls, I said, hey, when I launch this, I want to launch it for $1,000. I want to pre-sell it for 500. But since you were on a one-on-one, -on -one, I'll give you another 100 off of that <laughs> if you're interested in, in, in joining this thing and getting it off the ground with me. Hmm. And so probably 80% of the people I did that one-on-one -on -one with wound up doing the pre-sale. That's how I did it. So it was pretty in, intense. I don't know if all, all of that was necessary, but it gave me a really clear idea of like how to get started. And it gave me a really engaged audience to do it with. And then I built things out with them like week by week on, on focus groups for the course content. Nice. That's in some ways, that's really similar to the to some parts of what we did when we were building our program. So we do a group coaching program for course creators about how to build funnels and use email marketing to sell more courses to their audience. And the first thing I did was we listed out all the stuff that we wanted to include. And it was yeah. this massive, like just so <laughs> much stuff, all the things that we ever do for clients, all the things that we've ever taken to people. And then I went through and was like, right, which of these do we cut down to? And I did like a test. I, I figured one like area of it that maybe we could cut down to. And I did a test run with one person as if she was in a group coaching program, but just one-on-one. -on -one. And so then kind of saw how well that worked and what the problems were, went away, rebuilt the whole thing, did it again with two people and went through, then went back through and totally tore it apart again, rebuilt it. And like just so kept kind of going through and being like, okay, what's essential here? What bits are needed? What bits aren't? And then eventually launched it. And when we launched my first sales call, I was going to offer it for $1,500. And halfway through explaining how good it was, I was like, I can't offer this for $1,500. That'd be stupid. I'll sound like an idiot. I'm telling somebody I'm going to double the size of their course business and I'm going to charge them $1,500 for it. It's like, it's ridiculous. <laughs> so I charged 3000 and I did that a few times. And I had somebody on a sales call. He looked at me so weird. He was just like, like he just gave me this look. And it's just like, what was that? And I realized, I said to him at the end, I said, um, it's not going to change the price for you. Your price is fixed. but." You gave me a, f a funny look when I said it was $3,000. And he's like, yeah, I thought that was cheap. <laughs> he's like, I was expecting yeah. a lot more than that. And I said, if it had been 5000 would you have bought? He's like, yeah. I was just like, okay, all right. So then put the price up. So kind of similar to you, like, you know, massively increasing the price over time. 
and then it went it went up and up again from there as we kind of got better results but yeah i think it's so hard if you try and do it in your head to figure out what's what is it that you're going to do what's included and what's not and what's what do people care about what have you i find that fascinating that you kind of went through and did all of that so when you did version one when you launched it and you did that pre-sale and you delivered it you said you were still kind of building it with people as you went through it so was it live sessions and you were recording them for the future ones like how did it work at that stage not exactly. So the the live meetings were more for me to collect feedback and get impressions from the people going through the program. So I was kind of building, I was kind of building out content, trying to stay ahead of them. And then having feedback sessions where I'm like, what do you think, you know, and running my ideas for the future content by them, like, you know, how do you feel about covering this? Is anything missing here? I mean, that's kind of how I've built all my courses. So a live weekly focus group, but still pre-recorded content. And the course in that stage, I should say, like I wound up re-recording that content like five times or so because, yeah, at that stage, it was kind of like a, a coaching program, essentially, is what it was. Like I would give some guiding videos to help people create a deliverable, and then I would give like really detailed feedback on that deliverable for multiple rounds until it kind of got to the standard we were aiming for. Um, and there were like eight plus deliverables. So as you can imagine, this wasn't very scalable for me, and it it ate up a ton of my time. It's mm. part of what helped me grow, like the results that people were seeing from the program. That was a some whole other thing I had to figure out how to like build a team around that and scale that more like in the past year. <laughs> but the first year was just me kind of working a ton. <laughs> help yeah. help give that level of support. I've been there, yeah. Okay, and then I cool. guess the last part about that, just to like I started re-recording the content to help people get things right the first time. Because I'm like, okay, when I would find myself giving the same feedback over and over, I'm like, okay, there's a gap in the content. I need to improve that here. So that's kind of the process. A lot of iteration, I would say, <laughs> from the beginning. And so do you have just one core program that you sell this bootcamp? Essentially, I've played around with different things. I've played around with some self-paced things and the coaching thing. Where we're at right now is people can enroll in the whole bootcamp and they kind of get access to everything. Or we have like the individual like, courses from within the bootcamp, so to speak. Like for example, the first one is called the Storyline Project Lab. And it teaches people how to use like the most in-demand like software in our field. So it's like project-based, but it's completely self-paced. So I'll like show people how to use these different parts of the tool. I'll give them a challenge that they could try on their own. And then I'll like give the reveal. So they can get that practice and they can get that like feedback in quotes, but it is all self-paced, completely like scalable. Gotcha. So um, we, yeah, we sell that as well. And some people do that. That's like a thousand dollar price point. So some people start there. And then if they decide later on, they want to like do the boot camp, we like give them a credit even to the full program since it's included anyway. Nice. Okay. So now let's get into a little bit more about like the actual, the marketing of this kind of, how does that work for you now? Is this, is your boot camp always available? Is it only at certain times a year people can sign up? What's the kind of structure you've got for it? Yes. So initially it was cohort based. I would open it up like every three to six months and there'd be 50 seats and it would sell out pretty quickly. And then I would be slammed for months, <laughs> like constantly. And it, yeah, it took a toll on me and it kind of had me like weary of the next launches because I'm like, this is going to be so much work. Like I need to figure this out. So we've kind of transitioned to a more evergreen approach where it's application only now. So people need to apply and then, yeah, we kind of accept people on a rolling basis. 
And sometimes we accept people like in a in a group to get like a cohort experience. Like we will it in like 25 people at a time. We did that in November. And people do seem to like that cohort experience. But then people also don't have to like wait three months to get started if they're like ready to take action today. Gotcha. So I've been doing a lot of experimenting. I don't know where I'm going to land a year from now, but I, I am liking this evergreen kind of model. There's very few people who go from launch to evergreen and then go back yeah like <laughs> yeah. it's that's true yeah yeah launches are so launches work and people look at the dramatic results that you tend to get with launches and get excited about it but the problem with it is they're just exhausting yeah. they really are and i just i think yeah. that that on its own is a big enough reason not to do them just how tiring and, and exhausting it is Whereas if you've got something that's running evergreen, there's lots of other benefits to it. You know, you can refine more quickly because you have more iterations of it. You can make it easier for people to start when they want to start instead of when it's convenient for you and you've got the batch going on. But I think the biggest reason for doing it is just that you then aren't exhausted. You can just be a little bit calmer in your life. And I think that's a really big deal. That is a huge deal. Yeah, that's the goal. (laughs) (laughs) So how does it work? What's the process now? Where do somebody generally start? Is it they find you on YouTube? Is that the kind of starting point for most people? Yeah, they'll find me on YouTube or Google, looking up Mm -hmm. instructional design or any related keyword. And then in these YouTube videos, we have all sorts of different lead gens now. So Mm -hmm. we have like a become an instructional designer checklist. We have like a community that people join and it's, you know, email gated probably different ones like resume templates, all sorts of stuff now, because I, you know, started figuring out how that works and mm-hmm. the import, you know, of course, the importance of having a mailing list. So at some point they'll become a lead after finding me on YouTube, watching who knows how many videos, some videos talk about the bootcamp. Like for example, there are some portfolio review videos where we're like reviewing portfolios from the bootcamp. So those, the people are watching portfolio reviews, obviously they're going to benefit from like portfolio help. They're looking for that. So some people, before they even get on our mailing list, like they're applying to the bootcamp because they found it through a YouTube video. <laughs> so some people are jumping right to the end. Mm-hmm. But for those who do start with a lead gen, I've got this in place finally. It's taken me two years of wanting this in place to finally getting it in place. Now we have like a 30 email campaign, so to speak, to guide people through free content, a, a little pay launch of our self-paced course at the lower price point. And then, yeah like 20 emails between that launch and then the bootcamp launch. So it's like a automated bootcamp launch. I just wrote those emails like yesterday. So we'll see how it starts going. But then hopefully the bootcamp will be launching itself on a weekly basis. Nice. And then what happens after that? So how long does that, you said 30 emails, I think. How long of a period is that? Probably two months. Okay, cool. And what happens to people after that two months? Like if they don't sign up during that period? Then they go on to my general mailing list, which is what I use for years, where every week I'm sending an email about my new content. And whenever there's a launch, I send it to everyone on there, <laughs> whenever gotcha. there's a new course or something. But yeah, they'll basically be getting the weekly newsletter. So any, they'll get info about which content is new and sent to YouTube or my, or my website. And how often do you, are you, so you're still doing launches? Yeah, I guess you could say that. Like in November, okay. I did a launch for the people who okay. wanted the cohort experience, but it was very like, chill because we still had people coming in like regularly so it was was like this launch could be zero people and like we're still hitting our goals basically 
Yeah, that's one of the reasons why launches are stressful. If that's the only time that people can sign up, if anything goes wrong, that means like, oh my God, what are we going to do? You know? Yeah. Like and that's, to... that's why I was like, this isn't sustainable because, you know, I would project revenue. I'm like, yeah, this launch will get this many people. And then I had a launch last summer and it was underwhelming. You know, I expected to do like maybe 200 to 250K and it was more like 100K. And I'm like, yeah, I have to kind of rescind some like hiring offers I had for people. You know, it's like you can't build a business mm. around that expecting that kind of revenue when it's so uncertain and then you don't know how it's going to go again for another three months or you know however long someone's launch yeah. cycle is so. <laughs> i had a i had somebody i knew who um massive audience does millions of dollars in launches and had like three webinars lined up as part of the launch which was like the, the webinar was like the crucial element like the bit you know, they had a pre-launch stuff and like a build up but these webinars were a really big deal and the webinar software broke for the first one it's just like, oh, wow. What, like, that's just imagine how stressful that is. Like, yeah. this is terrifying. You know, you can't have that. It's no good. Okay, cool. So, you do the launches, you do that, what, about every three months, but you've also got the kind of stuff running on an ongoing basis as well. Yeah. And I, I'm not expecting to do any more launches because now okay. that it's going to be automated. So, I'm, I, I have to wait and see how, how the data looks, of course, from this latest update. But the goal I've been working towards is, yeah, automating it all and completely evergreen. <laughs> and I think we might be there, but I have to wait and see. <laughs> so after that, with this kind of evergreen model, after that two months is finished and they've got all those original 30 emails, how do they then get reminded that they could sign up in month three, four, five, six or anything like that? To be determined. Okay. <laughs> yeah, I've, I haven't thought that far through yet. Gotcha. But for example, that's a handful of the people who joined in this November launch. It's like people who had received launch emails before, but they've just been getting the weekly email for like months and months and months. And yeah, then it's like, oh, there's a launch happening. It's like a reminder to them. Oh yeah, there's an actual product we can engage you with and oh, purchase. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Perfect. Okay. And what size is your email list now? Now we're at about 14,000. 14,000. Okay. And how many new subscribers do you get a month? Between 1,000 and 1,200. Okay. And that's off of uh, how many YouTube views do you get a month? Around 70K. I'm just doing calculating uh, option <laughs> rates. And is that the bulk of where your traffic is coming from, from the YouTube videos? I would say we get comparable on the website. Okay. So about another 70,000 website visitors a month as well. Uh, or maybe that's how I'm gonna, I'm looking right now, but <laughs> okay. So actually less than that, like 20 K a month on the website. Okay, cool. Interesting. Okay. So we've been looking into opt-in rates a lot recently because I think it's, uh, so on website, a good opt-in rate is about 2% and a really strong one is three. Some people can get to five, but two to three is kind of a good range for most people to assume that they can be somewhere in that range. And with YouTube, because one of the things that's really important for us is helping people figure out how much money they could make. It's really important that we know, like, okay, how many new leads could you get per month from a YouTube channel with this many views? And what we found is it's somewhere between about 0.5 and 1% opt-in rate with YouTube channel of monthly views. Now, it sounds like you're doing some really great work there. Like you've got a whole bunch of different lead magnets. I'd be really curious to kind of see, and maybe we can talk through like, how you're promoting those lead magnets within the videos, how that kind of works. But it looks like about 1% opt-in rate is kind of doable, something like that. And then That's that impressive. means that you can get... So it's numbers that you're talking about work out as being... If it was just from your 
YouTube, it would be a 1.4%, but you've got 20,000 website visitors. So about a 1.1% overall. So it'd have to kind of look and see which is coming from where, but yeah, it sounds quite strong. And then have to look a little bit more to kind of figure out if you could get that any higher, because I'd be really interested if that could, because that would, if you can grow your email list faster, everything else is, you know, yeah. increased, right? It's so good. Yeah. The email list is the source of all, all the sales. <laughs> Anybody listening who has not yet bought into email marketing, email list is the source of all sales. It honestly is. <laughs> it is. Yeah. If I talk to people who are like, oh, I want to sell courses. I'm like, uh, you know, I'm going to get started. It's like, okay, don't start building the course yet. Like work on building your mailing list. Like that's what you need first. Yeah. 100%. Yeah, totally. Okay. So. What else have we got then? We've got, we've talked through the overall structure of how you've been doing the promotion for it in terms of doing launches every few months. When you, so when you were doing the launches, which I know you're not planning on doing those now, what did that look like? Was it all email? Would you do a webinar? Is there a challenge? Like what's the structure to it? I tried different things. I did incorporate webinars sometimes or a webinar sometimes. Like for a while, I was doing a webinar every single week. So for probably years, like up until... The past six months or so, I stopped doing this. But every single week, I would do a webinar with people in the industry, uh, showing people how to use like the software tools. And these were free, and they helped grow the email list massively. Like sometimes our email list would grow like two thousand people in a month if we did a webinar with like a popular person in the field. <laughs> so it would it would be big. On during launch weeks, the webinar that week would be very closely related to like portfolios or something related to the product. And then at the end, I would mention, hey bootcamp enrollment is open right now check it out um leading up to the bootcamp like pre-launch i guess so to speak i would be more strategic with the content i was publishing like you know before one of our big launches every single week i was doing an e-learning portfolio review uh and then mentioning the bootcamp in it and that sort of thing but yeah it was emails quite heavily emails yeah it was bootcamp enrollment is open here's a little bit about it go to the landing page and then the landing page had a bunch of testimonials on it and of course all the info people need and towards the end, like as word spread about the bootcamp, in each launch, I was doubling the price. So I was always anxious each time. I'm like, is anyone going to buy it? It's like $2,000 now. <laughs> but each launch, I was doubling the price. And at the end, ID bootcamp enrollment is open. The last one was like five months ago or something. Like as I went through a cross-country move, I didn't want, you know, I couldn't take it on right then. It just sold out instantly. <laughs> like the first day. It was just like my notification was like sale, 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 sale. So we got our 50 people. So I didn't even need like a campaign. Wow. And then I just keep getting the message. I'm like, okay, I'm either not, I'm not charging enough or I don't know what's, what's going on here. <laughs> but um, <laughs> yeah, it was, or maybe I wasn't having frequent enough launches, but. And what's the price now? The price now is 6,900 with the payment plan or saving a thousand. So 5,900 if upfront. Got it. Okay, cool. And what's like the the value proposition? What do people get out of it at the end? Is it still about reviewing their portfolio? So it's aimed at existing instructional designers or is there, has it changed at all? Yeah, it's, it has changed. We are getting closer to the initial vision of having, of helping people like with more parts of the process. The value proposition is kind of like land your dream job or get your, get your top choice opportunities. Most people are looking for corporate roles, but some people are coming into freelance we don't help as much with the freelancing stuff. I used to help people like really individually with that, but it, like it wasn't as scalable. So eventually we will have like freelancing content. 
But yeah, that's the idea is to help people land their top choice, like corporate ID job. So we start with the learning the, the software. We help people create a really strong like portfolio project. Uh, we help people create their portfolio websites. And then we also have content now for resume interview uh, LinkedIn also to get noticed by recruiters and stuff on there. Got it. Okay. So it's getting broader. And then our next offer too, because I do have like a slightly bigger team now. So this year we're going to build like the ID project lab, which is where we're going to dive really deep into like the theories and how to apply the theories to like corporate type projects. Just filling out another area that, yeah, aspiring IDs would want to feel confident in and that would help them get better jobs. But Got it. And what's the team look like now? Because I'm guessing that it sounds like it's quite a few people. Is it like a, is that a major, I don't want to ask more than you're comfortable in sharing, but like how much does that then affect the margins for your business, having like a whole team who who operates with so much of this? I'm comfortable sharing. I'm, I'm trying to figure it out as I go. And I, when I first started, I was like, I do not know what I'm doing here. <laughs> Because yeah, a year ago from today, I was hiring my first interns, like as I was doing everything myself from the thumbnails to the editing, to the coaching, to everything. So I started hiring some interns and yeah, I was paying maybe a couple hundred bucks a month with like the very limited help I was getting to now 20K plus a month on, on the team. So I have a person who is basically working full time. He's available every day to help with anything like as needed. Yeah, he's kind of like my right-hand guy. Shout out, Nathan. <laughs> but yeah, he helps with everything, anything I need. So that's really good. I think that a lot of the advice I hear is like hire like a version of yourself first who can do all the stuff you do because that that kind of buys back my time to focus on some higher leverage stuff. And then I also have a couple of, of coaches for the boot camp. I have like four total, but two of them do the bulk of the heavy lifting because they're freelancers and they have more availability and they went through the bootcamp. They built really successful freelance business businesses after the bootcamp and they've been given feedback like the whole way. So they've been, just been getting like more and more kind of responsibility and they've been building their reputation more and more with people in the bootcamp and in like the instructional design community at, at large. So that has been working very well. And then I have like a video editor, like someone to create thumbnails, someone for closed captions, like all of those kind of very specific tasks. Gotcha. And uh, so what kind of yeah. revenue are you doing total a month at the moment? I know it obviously might vary with when you have done launches, but on average. Per month? Yeah. It, yeah, it has been varying. Like the minimum last year was like 50K in a given month and the maximum was 250K in a given month during one of those launch months. Um, it looks like the past couple of months are going to be going around like 70K a month or so. Okay. But I expect that to change now that we added this like simulated bootcamp launch. So, and then we have a, we we've been offering an eighteen month payment plan. So we have a lot of people signing up oh, on like wow, an eighteen. Wow, that's long. Okay. Yeah, I I wanted to experiment with it to see if it would make it more, yeah, accessible to people. And then a lot of people get opportunities after the first like six months or so. So I'm like, if people finish their payments, this should be a win for everyone. If it's you know lighter on the front end for them. But then it doesn't really, they don't feel it as much once they get that job they're trying to get. So it's cheap per month. Like they're paying like under 400 bucks a month to, yeah. to go through it then. Okay. And it, the interesting thing is yeah, about 70% or more of the people who are enrolling are doing the upfront payment still. <laughs> yeah, we've been playing around with how we worded. Because it used to just be one price. You could pay up front or you could pay, you know, via a 12-month payment plan up to is what we've done historically. 
there are some people who kind of slip through the cracks or disappear or don't complete the payment plans. So it is like riskier on our end. So I'm like, yeah, maybe we'll give people yeah, a discount, a reward basically for paying up front. Um, and that seems to be received well. It does entice people to to pay up front. Hmm. Do you think you put the price up again? Oh yeah. Yeah, we raised <laughs> yeah. <laughs> for one of our launches where I was feeling, yeah, like I couldn't take on that many people, I couldn't do 50 people, we doubled it to 10,000. And we mm -hmm. sold like 10 seats or so at 10,000. Okay. But I think that was too high because I was expecting, you know, like, okay, instead of 50, let's aim for 25. I'll double the price. We'll see if we get half of the people. And we got 10 instead of 25. To be fair, we were also playing around with a subscription to $10,000 per year <laughs> instead of just 10,000 for lifetime access. We changed a lot of things that launched that could have played a role in that. But yeah, I could see us approaching back up to that 10,000 price point. And when somebody is interested in signing up, do they jump on the phone with somebody? They just go to a checkout page and buy? Like, what's the process there? We had tried that. We had tried doing like this, the sales calls or having a call as part of it. But after trying that, I was like, I, I feel like I'm giving a lot of attention to these, these calls. I, I wasn't doing them personally, but like my team. And I just, I was like, I don't know if this is necessary. So instead we just have a type form. So you mm -hmm. apply, you enter your email address to become a lead if you're not already. You get the application sent to you, which has some pretty detailed questions on it about like where you're at, what your goals are, or what your experience is. And then we either accept, deny, or ask them to complete the application again with more info <laughs> to get closer to what we're looking for. And then we have like automation set up in our email marketing. So based on, we just tag them and then it kind of sends the automated emails. If they get accepted, they'll kind of, you know, we hold their seat for 48 hours and they'll get like a series of emails saying like, you know, enroll within this 48 hours. So that's kind of helped people make that commitment because you're noticing, especially with the payment plans, like half, half or so of the people who would get accepted with detailed applications then wouldn't take that next step and actually enroll. <laughs> so we've been testing around too with how to help with that conversion rate. Nice. Okay, cool. That's fascinating because normally anything that sells for more than $2,000 like people need to jump on a call with somebody to talk it through. So yeah. there's something that you're doing right here. I don't know. <laughs> what, <laughs> I'm trying to wrap my head around exactly what it might be. But um, yeah, that's fascinating. So you've managing to sell something for maybe even $10,000 without having the sales call. Fascinating. Okay. Yeah. When I did the $10,000 launch, I, I did go on calls with everyone. I had them apply and then I went on a call with them for like the next, you know, like the interview. And then, yeah, people did appreciate that. And when we were offering calls, people did say, yeah, they appreciated it, but it wasn't having a really big impact on like conversion rate compared to email alone. And yeah, when I used to do the launches, it was just, yeah, email <laughs> and anyone could enroll without applications. And some people require like 20 hours of coach time and some people required like two. <laughs> so there is a very big variation there. Yeah. Mm. And then some people just might not have been a very good fit from the beginning. So the application process has, has helped with that. Got it. Perfect. Man, that is amazing. It's a great story. I love this. It's absolutely fascinating hearing how you've kind of worked through all of that, put that together and how this is working. I still don't quite understand how you're managing to do that without the sales calls, like how, why it is that your audience like oh, that works for them. Yeah. Something important that I haven't really mentioned, but I feel like played a very big role in all of this is this showcase. So after working with a lot of these people and like them getting these jobs and, and writing these testimonials and having these portfolios, I put together a showcase on my website and it's like, 
you know, I started my bootcamp in 2020. Here are the people I've worked with and here's what they've accomplished. Feel free to explore their portfolios for yourself. And so there are like over 30 portfolios on there now, each one with like a detailed testimonial about how they got where they, they went. And the portfolios are like kind of like striking compared to the industry average, I would say. So that helps me sell more than anything else I could imagine. Like it's kind of a two for one. It's like a very real deliverable they can see of the results. And coupled with that, that testimonial, that, that sells for me for sure. Mm -hmm. People are like, yeah, I've looked at other programs. I looked at what your students are creating. I want to join your program. Yeah. How much is it going to be? <laughs> and so it, <laughs> I haven't had to really compete on price. Thanks to that. Nice. Beautiful. Absolutely love that. Now, you are also putting together a 10 or even more part video series about this whole process, aren't you? Could you tell everybody? Yeah, about this that? is my first time talking about it publicly, but I have been excited to do this for so long. So 2023 is the year. Um, but yeah, so on my YouTube channel now, I'm going to start creating videos on this process I've went through and how to basically build this kind of course selling business and what I learned along the way. And we'll see how my audience receives it. I think there will be some good overlap because instructional designers, I think, would do really well for the course selling. But mm. I imagine yeah, anyone interested in course selling should be able to get a lot of a lot of value out of it. And how can people find those videos? I know they're not out yet, but how can people go search for it? Yeah, I don't know when this podcast is going live, but it the first one will be uh, the middle of January. It's when the first one of these will be going live. And you can find it in my channel by just searching Devlin Peck, P-E-C-K. When did you say it's going going out? The first one will go live in the middle of January. Okay, cool. So in fact, when you're listening to this, this will actually, the videos will be up because this podcast is coming out in February. Perfect. So go to YouTube, search for Devlin Peck, D-E-V-L-I-N-P-E-C-K, Devlin Peck. And we're going to link that in the show notes as well. And you should be able to find those videos and um, go go subscribe and watch those. Amazing. Thanks so much for coming on the show today, Devlin, and sharing all your wisdom. This has been fascinating to hear. Uh, love this story. I think it's fantastic. Huge congratulations on everything you've managed to accomplish. And I look forward to hearing how it goes in the future as well. This is, this is fabulous. Great. Thank you, John. Very glad to be here. I love talking about this stuff. So, you know, happy to chat about it anytime. <laughs> so thanks again. And I will talk to you later. Great. All right, guys, if you found the interview useful, you want to get future episodes, subscribe wherever you listened, and we'll catch you in the next episode.